The following content is not suitable for children. We're going to talk today about the racism that we see in our own lives and the lives of our patients and our greater community. And we know that we don't have all the answers. We just want to add our hearts to the conversation. Welcome to Foreplay Radio, Couples and Sex Therapy. I'm Lori Watson, your sex therapist. And I'm George Fallon, your couples therapist. And we are passionate about talking about sex and helping you develop a way to talk to each other. Our mission is to help our audience develop a healthier relationship to sex that integrates the mind, the heart, and the body. Just as we begin, please remember to check out Uberlube. Uberlube.com is where you can get this great lubricant and help support Foreplay Radio. That's how you create change. We've been talking about this with sex and why would race be any different? How do we start talking about things that are uncomfortable and talking about it, right? It's the silence and the avoidance of these conversations that just perpetuate the distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without the conversation, we fall into our stereotypes, right? Our generalizations about who others are, what they think, what they're like. And of course, race marks people in a vivid way, and it's it's easy to class. I just know that it's broken so many lives, and of course we are aware right now of the many, many atrocities that are happening to black people with George Floyd's murder and death and, and many others before and after. And I, I just, I can hardly stand it. I, I feel so broken, and I, and I feel angry too. And you know, I'm full of white privilege and coming from this place, I, I know I can't imagine what it really feels like. Right. Well, as a couples therapist, it's not so different what we've been talking about, trying to get our listeners to see these feedback loops and these patterns, right? Instead of it being something happening within your house and in your intimate relationship, this is just a larger pattern, but it has very similar dynamics, mm-hmm. right? So if I'm in a in the position of someone marginalized, you know, I'm set up to have to protest. That anger is my way of trying to fight back and say, wait, I deserve a little bit more. Absolutely. Right? And, and, but if I'm at the other end of somebody who's protested and being angry, and I know in my heart, I'm following the rules I was taught, I'm doing the best I can. It, it naturally pulls out the defensiveness of that listener that mm-hmm. says, wait, wait a second, I'm a good person. And then why you treat me like this? And that mm-hmm. defensiveness kind of makes the person on the other end who's angry and protests and say, you're not listening, you're not getting it, you're not focusing on me. Mm-hmm. They only get angrier, the angrier mm-hmm. they get, the more the other person gets defensive. I mean, this is themes we've been talking about throughout this podcast, mm-hmm. and yet now we're seeing it play out. I just saw a couple today, and I was like, you know, what you two are fighting about, look outside your window. They're in New York City. I say, that's what thousands of people in the street are doing exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. We really are in this mess together, and, and, and the good news is there is such science behind how do you help people repair when they have two different realities? Mm-hmm. Like how do they stop getting surprised by the other person's defensiveness and start anticipating it and learning how to actually work with it instead of fighting it? Mm-hmm. And I know that so many people are trying to come closer to the angry protest, trying to see the righteousness in that anger and how it's right that people be angry. And I know there's a lot of people that are moving toward that even when it's scary even when they say to themselves hey i didn't cause this but it's like actually culturally i mean somebody has to take responsibility right and there's a fine line between having a right to be angry and protest 
and cross it over that line and using that anger to destroy businesses and people's livelihood and, and people's lives, right? I mean, that sure. doesn't make a problem better when that anger turns to violence. Sure. But I, I'm aware that one of my clinicians, who's a woman of color, Sarai, and, you know, she has been posting all over her Facebook about, but when we talk about the looters and the riots versus the protests, it's a change of conversation. We're forgetting what is happening. I'm not saying, I mean, every organization, every movement, everything has problems and bad apples, if you will. But but in essence, I, I see a lot of people, and mostly on my feed, you know, white people talking about the riots and the looting. And it's like what Sarai's comment was is they're forgetting the point. And I agree. It's like the point is there's this outrage. And I think if systemically, you know, you've been prejudiced against for generations, you know, starting back with slavery, it's like, I, I get it. There's just this hopelessness. And, and yes, people are taking advantage of it. But I guess that the rage makes sense to me. Yeah. And as, as couples therapists, we got to hold two of those truths, right? That if you were a person of color, a 15-year-old kid, and, you know, this rage has had nowhere to go, and now finally your friends are running around in the streets, that maybe you cross over the line and it turns into, hey, why shouldn't I take a pair of sneakers, you know? Mm-hmm. Right? And, but the flip side, we also have to hold that truth of, of people saying, how does this make anything better? Mm-hmm. Right to destroy businesses in your own neighborhood to to see pictures of that it, it makes sense why people get defensive and say hey listen I'm open and I I, I want to create change I, I want to find ways of of reducing systemic racism or trying to get to a place of eradicating it mm-hmm. you know but this response kind of doesn't help in that process sure I loved what you wrote on Facebook George I mean you come from a background of civil service, you were a police officer and a fireman for 20 years. Talk about that and what you've seen. Well, you know, when I watched the video of George Floyd dying, being murdered, and seeing him calling out for his mother. Oh, I my mean, God, yes. That it strikes to the heart of every human being, right? It don't matter your nationality, your race, your religion. I and mean, anybody who watches that video just is like, oh, how is this happening? Please stop. You keep waiting for somebody like to, to stop that. And, you know, so I guess my curiosity is really trying to understand what blocked these four police officers' hearts from being impacted by what was happening. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that about? Like the others just standing there. You know, not, Anybody not saying, who watches that video is pulled towards that video and says, stop. It, it wants to propel us get, into action. Right, right? get and off These him. four guys did it. So I think that is also what we've been doing in this podcast. Let's get curious. What stops people? What makes them more defended or, or survive and not be their best selves? Like, you know, so for me, I guess knowing some of the training that these police officers have working with the military or as a firefighter, first responders. It's like you get hours and months and years of training mm-hmm. to turn off your feelings. And mm-hmm. you get no training at all to turn those feelings back on. Mm-hmm. Right? So we wonder why police officers look robotic and they don't they don't show themselves, right? They don't show their feelings because it's going to be taken as weak and and be used against them. But they don't recognize the cost of these habitual walls that they put up year after year, what it does to their humanity. 
Yeah, yeah. I I'm just reminded of a client, a, a police officer client who he was about three years in to working in Raleigh, and his wife and him came in and. She talked about like the change that she had seen in him, just this hardening of his heart. Yeah, he was working with a criminal element all the time, but it was just he had changed so much from this open, loving person that was open to her, too. He had just closed off and become cynical. I I guess in part, I, I can understand it in part, it's to survive what he's seen every day. But certainly, he he didn't have the ability to turn back on in his intimate relationship. And I can imagine in your job, it's like when it's necessary, when you need to be human, so hard to turn that back on in the moment. And That's and there's, a great image of a hardened heart because mm-hmm. that's so often what the training's trying to do. Stay cool under pressure. Turn off your emotions. Don't let the fear get the better of you. Yet there's no training to turn that, soften that heart when it needs to. And for me, if your job, being a police officer myself, if your job description is to serve the community, how can you serve a community by turning off your heart? Right. Right. We got to teach these police officers to be more flexible. Turn it off when you need to and turn it back on when you need to. And that's why I felt this is a pivotal moment. I do believe change is going to happen. I maybe I'm idealistic, but to see all those police officers kneeling down mm-hmm. with, you know, the protesters, to me, it was so beautiful because they're touching their humanity. They're saying, I can recognize this too and want to protest it. This mm-hmm. isn't okay. We want change too. We are with you. You are our community. We're in this together. Mm-hmm. Right, But if you're going to throw rocks at me, I'm going to turn my feelings back off and I'm going to go into kind of cool mode and I'm going to take care of business and arrest the people. And police officers can do both. Yeah. So why not train them to do both? Yeah, that, that broke my heart too. I saw some Fayetteville officers kneel as the crowd was coming toward them. And you could just see people's hearts melt, their own hearts melting and the protesters coming forward, hugging the police, black and white, you know, it was it was a moment, I felt, of hope and a moment of peace. I mean, I, I think that's true, right? We also have to see the police officers as human and what they're up against and, you know. Yeah, it's the sacrifices that they make, that they're willing to turn off their feelings to follow their training, even though the cost of putting up those walls is they start to lose themselves over time. That's what the hardening does. Mm. They can't share this stuff with their families. They can't share it. Like, there's a big pressure. Every time, you know, it's a tough job when every time you see people, it's a negative environment. You're given a ticket. You're dealing with a dispute. It's, you know, there's something bad. You're always carried around that gun. There's just a heaviness. There's a weight to the, to the, to the job. And they're willing to take on that weight. And they don't know where to go to share that and yet then they're blamed because they start to turn off their feelings when they're just following the rules it's really heartbreaking that they're Mm -hmm. what they're willing to sacrifice and it's people don't really recognize the sacrifice they just want to point out the shortcomings of the results of that sacrifice Mm -hmm. i so appreciate the sacrifices that police officers are making and they really don't recognize the costs Mm-hmm. And that's really what we're trying to make room for, that they need somewhere to go with these emotions that they use 
you don't run towards bullets unless somebody is running with you, right? You don't run towards a fire. It's all based on we don't face fear well alone. Mm-hmm. Police officers know this and they do it with others. The best way to handle fear is in relationship. Yet what's so sad for so many police officers there is their own inner world, their own fears. They really have nowhere to go with that. Yeah. And then sometimes when they're banding together, it's to the detriment of the community because the loyalty doesn't allow for, you know, the one to stand up and say, hey, wait a second, this isn't right, you guys, let's stop. You know, they're trained to band together. And I mean, this is why, right, the four four guys didn't interrupt that one officer with his knee on George's neck. Well, let's explore more of that after the break, like what stopped these four police officers. Because as much as if we want to end systemic racism, we really got to understand what stops people from listening to their emotions. Again, we're thanking UberLube. And UberLube is sending a package of the product to the first, I think, 10 or 20 people who sign up with us with Patreon. So definitely... You're going to need to send me your address so I can get it to them, if that's okay with you. But UberLube, it is a product that I have given out to every patient for like three years. We have a bowl that people can take handfuls of the samples before the, on their way out so that nobody can see them take it. But it's it has this long-lasting performance because really it's made from silicone, so it doesn't get absorbed into the body. And it also doesn't trap bacteria, so it's really safe to use. It has like three types of high-grade silicone, and it has a little bit of vitamin E, so that makes you your skin feel good afterwards. Yeah, I recommend a whole, taking a bathtub in it and just <laughs> good for your skin, good for your soul, good for your just. Good for your All sex around, life. good sex life, everything's good. <laughs> right, and it's scent-free and it's taste-free, so you can switch doing all kinds of things sexually and feel good about that. And it doesn't impact your pH balance or your hormones, which is really important for women. It is recommended by thousands of doctors. It's recommended by Dr. Lori Watson, and it's made in the USA. And I've said this before, but I really like the packaging because it's just clear glass, white lettering. It's beautiful. They've done a good job. So please go to uberloop.com and use the coupon foreplay when you check out and that credits us with your purchase. And we would just love for you to support them. And that helps us too. Thank you. George, you've got this whole new website with training materials and stuff. Tell me about it. It's called successinvulnerability.com. Similar to what we've been talking about in the podcast, I'm really trying to train therapists on how to keep their focus in session. And to if you're gonna invite couples and clients and families to risk doing vulnerability, then it's really critical that they have success when they do it. The reason why people don't do vulnerability is it doesn't work out so well for them when they do. So we really wanna empower therapists to, to know what to do in these critical moments to kind of usher in the transformation that could happen when people go to these vulnerable spots. So therapists who listen to us can go ahead and check it out and you'll be doing trainings and all sorts of things and you have a team of people. It's successinvulnerability.com. I'm excited about it. I get to learn a bunch more from George. One of the blessings of COVID-19, I never had time, but we can get creative when we're locked in a house and come up with some new endeavors. So I'm looking forward to it and I appreciate any feedback and support. 
George, as we come back from the break, I, I just want to read what you wrote on Facebook and also invite people to follow you on social media. Uh, it's George Fowler, marriage and family therapist is George's page. Mine is Lori Watson, couples therapist. And hopefully y'all are on Foreplay Radio as well on Facebook. But George writes, as a firefighter and police officer for over 20 years, it broke my heart to watch the George Floyd video and to hear him calling for his mother before dying. I believe part of the problem of systemic racism is emotional constriction and the habitual training to turn off feelings. What was blocking those four officers' hearts from being impacted by the cries of those around them? We invest a lot of resources to help turn off the feelings of emergency first responders and the military to face the challenges of stressful situations. It's about time to wisely invest in helping them listen to their emotions when appropriate. Emotional flexibility and resilience is the antidote to the harshness of the chronic emotional suppression. The good news is we can teach people how to turn emotions on and off and empower those who serve us to develop more choice and agency with their emotional reality. God knows we need and deserve the change We also appreciate James Hawkins for helping us create a safe space for real conversations focused on racial healing. So, yeah, Laurie, I think, you know, that was just a spontaneous, just shooting out some words, but it it really has, uh, it resonates with a lot of people to to recognize the costs of of our training. And we got to stop with just the words and feeling bad and actually put those words into action if we're really going to make a change. So, you know, two decades, three decades from now, we're not having these same conversations. I I guess what I wonder about is I know that within the police force, you know, therapy is kind of frowned upon, but it's somehow or another weakness if you need to go talk to somebody. I mean, there's this real culture that says talking about what you're experiencing and going through is a bad thing or is a weak thing. Could you speak to that? For me, it's, it always comes down to a math equation. If I'm a police officer and every time I deal with emotions, it's negative and it's bad, I want to get away from it and I don't want to do emotions. Why would I want to go to a therapist and talk about emotions? Right? If we want police officers to do more emotions, they have to have success similar to what we're talking about with withdrawers or people mm-hmm. who shut off. The root of the problem is a lack of success with their feelings. That's why the training is so important. It's like if you could kind of see what it's like for a community member, if you could empathize, if you can share that empathy with a protester and kind of realize the fruits of what emotion can do, which is lead to connection, a sense of being in something together, really being seen and affirmed. I mean, it's that positive emotion that comes from sharing our feelings that they, they need a felt sense of. Mm-hmm. And that's so often the missing ingredient, that they're, they're, they don't have success with their feelings. They're trained to run away from them, and they don't recognize the chronic avoidance of the feelings just robs them of their own vitality. And then it's so sad, they're just following the rules, and then they're blamed for doing it. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, there's a hard, who wants to be around somebody who's hard? Like if I'm in a, in a minority neighborhood, and I have a police officer that's always sending a negative vibe, that's always kind of waiting for me to do something bad, never sees the good in what I'm doing. I mean, that's, that's oppressive mm, to just be is. around that. You, you get why you don't like police officers, regardless of what words they say, actions that they take, the energy that they're setting up sets up 
you know, and then I'm going to deal with that by feeling these police officers don't like me. Screw them. And I, that, that disrespectful, angry attitude starts to get pulled out of me, which is exactly what the police officers are expecting. And it just becomes a self-fulfilling feedback loop. The cycle, the negative cycle, the cycle. in the community. And yeah. we know how to shift out of that cycle. Mm-hmm. It's about getting people to go underneath the surface, right? Above the surface is all the content that they're fighting over, the million different things. Below the surface is these same emotional realities. Mm-hmm. I have these vulnerable reactions, these fears, these hurts. And if I could share them and it actually get led to responsiveness, the other person coming closer, helping me with it, why would I need all this protection, all this stuff in, that happens above the surface? Mm-hmm. I'll give you a good example. I was, give me an example. As a 22-year-old police officer coming from an all-white neighborhood sent to a minority neighborhood, not having much cultural awareness, my training taught me make a difference by taking guns off the street. You know, mm-hmm. I worked in a neighborhood of the Bronx, huge homicide rate, drug rate, guns. So what would I do? What was I trained to do? Pull up on a corner if you see anything suspicious, throw you know, five, 10 people up against the wall and search them and get guns, get guns off the street. I mean, I felt good about it. Every time I got a gun, it was like, you know, we would celebrate it. We were really making a difference. Mm. I had no idea. Now I look back. I have a 15-year-old son. Could you imagine some police officer coming into his neighborhood and just randomly throwing him up against the wall? Right. Like already seeing him as a troublemaker and a bad kid, assuming the worst, mm-hmm. kind of like there was no awareness of that emotion and no empathy for what it was like on the other side. Nobody helped me to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. How different could that have been if I could have some of those conversations? Yeah. Right. That it's not all about just the goal of taking off guns. If how you take those guns off the street causes you to lose the community you're serving, it becomes so counterproductive. And I didn't even realize it. That's what I, I want a lot of people to realize. For so many, this isn't a choice. This is just muscle memory, right? We do what mm-hmm. we're trained to do. I turn off my feelings. And I think that's a little what happened with those four officers, right? They just tune people out. They've been trained to do that. And in doing that, they, they, they missed these pleas that their hearts should have said, damn, yes, yeah, snap out of this. Whatever we're doing, like check this guy's pulse, like do something, right? right? That, that, that muscle memory just blocked it out. I think that's, that's the essence of racism, right? Is we block out the humanity of the other out of and fear, we, out of conditioning, you know, out of... That's the key word, conditioning. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like the language you speak, you don't realize you're doing it. It's outside awareness. That's what makes it so vicious and systemic. Mm-hmm. You think you're a good person. You don't realize you're doing these things. You're making assumptions outside your awareness, and you're acting on those assumptions. Mm-hmm. right? So if we really want to change that, we really got to slow down that process and get people to be more aware of who they are. They become more intentional. Mm-hmm. It's about mindfulness. right? It's about being present and authentic. All of these things that we would do with a couple as we're trying to get them to be more in their experience and to share their truth with their partner, we need to do that as a society. Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of my father who was a World War II vet, and I took him to his 60, I don't know, 50th something military reunion of his platoon. And, you know, he could barely walk at that point. And 
you know, overall, my father was not, at least outwardly, a, a racist. You know, he taught us right. And, but when I went back to this reunion, they called the Japanese or with a racial slur. Everybody talked about them with a racial slur. And, and I realized that they had to, to kill these other men. They had to see them as less than human. Mm-hmm. It was a way that they distanced themselves from the humanity of the enemy, right, by calling them this, not realizing these were boys that were 20 years old, too. Yep. You know, and all of them still, all these years later, kind of hadn't processed the fact that they had killed men and done this. And it, and it was like, I mean, I think that that's some of what happens, right? We, yeah. When we're afraid, when our survival mode gets activated, we generalize and then we, we see the other as less human. And unfortunately, right, race is this outward marker that flashes in people's minds of this person in this color means X. So it's easy to generalize just on sight rather than having the conversation and and dealing with our own fear, our own misconceptions. Exactly. And it's exciting that we live in times where we now can see what's happening in the brain, that you can see when somebody has a fight or flight response that Mm-hmm. You know, their frontal cortex, their decision-making goes offline. They're literally the parts of their ears that take in information shut down. Mm-hmm. Right? So we need to, and I love how you're expanding it to, like, look at these moral injuries, like these wars or when, when it's all, what is the common theme in all of them? Emotional constriction. People have to turn off their feelings to do these actions. That's and, right. You know, and... We don't want to lose that ability when that is needed and appropriate. There are times if you're going to run towards bullets, you've got to learn how to turn off emotions. So uh, we don't want to make it like we're trying to turn everybody into this emotional, soft, weeping person, right? This is about flexibility. And the research is pretty clear in this, that that leaders who are emotionally flexible, which means they can turn it off when they need to turn it off and take care of business. And then when it's safe, they can turn it on and they can connect and they can be real. Those are the people that have the richest lives. Those are the people that we want to follow. Mm-hmm. Right, so we really need to to change this system. We really need to get leaders that that can role model both, really role model flexibility. Yeah, and make it okay. I mean, the leaders need to give permission for the men and women beneath them that hey, you know, you, you got to process this stuff. This is important to process what you have felt, the injuries that you have felt, and I, I know in. Police work, there's moral injuries, right? There's calls that are made that maybe ordinary people never have to face, you know, to get the job done. But they need to be able to process that so that they do become more moral. I mean, like these four men standing around George Floyd, you know, just that their humanity and their morality comes back online. Yeah, I saw a great example of video of Army National Guard soldiers coming into a neighborhood. You know, they were all on trucks with their M16s up in the air. Jeez. You know, and they're taught to do this, right? This, they're showing a presence. Yeah. They, half of what they're doing of is course. just trying to enforce and gain control of the situation. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. And the you know, general, whoever the officer was on the street, as every car came by, screamed up to him, put those guns down. Like he remembered the 
focus, the mission. The mission is this is our neighborhood. These are our people we're serving. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to make them feel scared. We're here to protect them and to serve them, not intimidate them. Mm. Right? And that leadership changed the whole vibe of that, you mm. know, that force coming in. Mm-hmm. So, again, I always go back to the good news, which is I've never seen a time with all of these murders where the police officers have and, and government officials have been joining the protesters and are saying we all agree that this needs to change. Now the real work is about how do we actually do that. And I think our big message here is a big part if you want to do that is you have to help people become more emotionally flexible. Mm-hmm. That if you cannot serve your community, if you're habitually turning off your feelings. Right? No relationship would work with somebody who doesn't do feelings. Yeah. Right? We so, have to take a wider lens on the person who's angry the person who is protesting, the person who is angry on the other side, right? We have to take a wider lens and see somehow or another that their heart has been injured, that they've been taught something that feels so essential to hang on to. One of the things I've often fantasized about is that heaven would be a place where we would see people's hearts, Mm. you know, that we would just see through to their injuries and things would become understandable, yeah. And we, I, I certainly, I know you agree that our message is we support that protest because the emotion driving it is saying, can you see my dignity and my humanity and, 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 and treat me as an equal? And you absolutely deserve that. And if that's not happening, then you need to stand up and express that. And the people around need to listen to that and to support that. Because we're, we're as, only as strong as our weakest members, you know, and we're, when we're all united, which is some of what we're seeing now, it's amazing what we're capable of doing. Mm-hmm. I do agree with that. Absolutely. Amen. So we also want to tell people that we're going to have a Facebook Live next Friday night for our Patreon supporters. If you want to come and sign up, I think it's the higher level and I hope people will join me in conversation because I'm, I'm going to be live on Facebook talking about anything. I mean, we can certainly continue this conversation or we can talk about sex as we usually do. So join us there. And you certainly need to be having some sex during these times too, right? <laughs> we do need sex during these times. Yes. Some relief. And check out our sponsor, uberlube.com. And use the coupon foreplay so that the podcast is supported through that. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Keep it hot. For those of you who are listening today, we are also going to send out some free Uber Lube to those of you who sponsor us on our Patreon page. Call in your questions to the foreplay question voicemail. Dial 833-MY4PLAY. That's 833, the number four, play. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.